This is the Endangered Species Podcast, the podcast by aspiring men for aspiring men. From Phoenix, Arizona, I'm Sean Bollendorf. I'm here with Logan Bonjean. Logs, how you doing, man? Good, Shawnee. How you doing? Dude, I'm fantastic. Coming off of probably the best weekend of NFL playoff football that I've ever seen. 13 seconds to go. And Mahomes, Mahomes did. That too, was too unreal. much time for Mahomes, man. Too much time. <laughs> 14 seconds was too little for Dak, but 13 seconds was just right for Mahomes. Yeah, that tells you pretty much all you need to know about that quarterback <laughs> play. But hey, man, back to baseball, right? Because we're talking about a five-tool player. And what is a five-tool godly man? Recap the five tools for us, Logan. Yeah, last week we talked about putting peers in your life to push you. This week, we're talking about having models in your life to mentor you. And then in the following weeks, we'll talk through having a training plan to transform you, having God's word to guide you and the Holy Spirit to strengthen you and all those things. Models to mentor you. When I first became a believer, I'll never forget, I was like 16 years old and there was this older kid in my school. He was a senior and he was a Christian. And I mean, there weren't very many kids in my school who were you know, sort of outwardly declaring, hey, I'm following Jesus. But this guy did. Kyle was his name. Stud guy. Still still a stud guy. But I remember I just started defaulting once I became a believer to doing anything I saw him do. I never told him this. I was kind of doing it from a distance. But I started to kind of talk like him. I started to listen uh, to the same music that he was listening to. I remember uh, getting in his car one time, driving around, and he had all this death metal. You know, It was back in the 80s. So it was like all this 80s death metal. And dude, as soon as he uh, dropped me off, I went home and I like started saving money and I started buying all kinds of 80s death metal. (laughs) I wouldn't peg you as a death metal guy, but that's pretty awesome. I I have no idea why I did that uh, other than the number one leadership principle in the world is this. People do what people see. People do what people see. You can tell them whatever you want as an influencer or, or a wannabe influencer in their lives. You can tell them whatever you want as a leader or a wannabe leader in their lives, but the number one leadership principle in the world, people will do what people see. Yeah. I've always heard the adage, more is caught than taught. It's like you're going to catch more from watching someone live their life than you are from what they're going to teach you. Yeah. Yeah. And for that reason, the guys we've looked at who are these five tool players, these five tool godly men, not only do they have established peers to push them. They also have brought into their lives models to mentor them. When Kim and I first moved out to Phoenix, we were praying before we got here for the words we used. The word we used was not uh, mentors or models, but it was guides. Mm, I like that. Yeah. We just said, Lord, would you bring guides into our lives? Not necessarily people to train us or disciple us. And we'll get into the difference between the two later. But we were praying for people to guide us along, spiritual guides, marriage guides, um, even real estate guides, people to help us find the right place to live. And just guides to the city. Guides to the city. What school should my youngest son go to? We were praying for guides, and it's so amazing because now looking back, we've been in this new city for almost three years, and God has provided guides for us, mentors, if you will, I guess, in every area that we asked for a guide. Man, that's so encouraging. It's so stinking cool, man. Uh, Down to even like a spiritual guide for me has become a man named Lewis Greer, who 
is in his 70s. Yeah, he, we had him on for an episode. You'll have to go listen to Lewis's episode. He's a legend. Phenomenal man. And I met him on the golf course. It was kind of a quote, if you want to call it, chance meeting. I, I don't think it was a chance. I think... A little divine appointment. 100% chance. Uh, God brought us together. And I can tell you, man, I reach out to him when I need advice. I reach out to him when I need a connection to a relationship. Or, you know, do you know anybody who's an expert at X, Y, or Z? Or, man, any scriptures on this topic? You know, I'm reaching out to Lewis fairly consistently. And it's just so cool, man, to have those models who mentor you. By the way, dude, why is it important to find models who mentor you? Yeah. Um, man, I, I think I think we got to go to the Bible and a handful of verses come to mind. But man, honestly, I love 2 Timothy 2 too. Uh, it just says, in the things you've heard me say, this is Paul speaking to his kind of protege slash mentee, Timothy. It says, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. And so it's cool. You see like four generations of disciples in this verse and you see that in part in this verse and it's fleshed out in really all of scripture that god's plan to reach the world is through people just like you and me sean just like people listening to this podcast right now and uh this verse lays out the vision for how that gets accomplished in its discipleship and so I, i really think in order to live out the bible's vision for discipleship for spiritual multiplication i think we need to have mentors in our life people who will teach us how to mentor others as well because in this verse, we see pretty clearly that um, if, if Timothy didn't have Paul in his life, there's no way he would be able to turn around and make disciples who will make disciples. Oh, yeah. There, there's so many reasons we need models in our lives who will mentor us. Uh, one reason that comes to my mind is we're just really bad at knowing what we don't know, right? Yeah. Uh, you always hear the old statement, we don't know what we don't know. I think that's so true. We need someone to hold up a mirror in our lives. We need somebody... Uh, to help us apply the word to our specific lives and to point out, hey, man, you're, you're making the same mistake over and over or you're you're saying the same dumb thing over and over. You're getting in the same situation. You're getting yourself in the same bad situation over and over. We need those models in our lives who will mentor us and, and uh, point those things out. Yeah, and I think even especially when it comes to studying the Bible in particular, I mean, one of the reasons I think it can be hard to apply the word in our lives or interpret what the Bible says is because we, again, like you said, we don't know the things that we haven't done before. And so mentors, models who are more seasoned, who have more experience and just more time spent in God's word, guys who've gone before us, who've made mistakes and who have learned um, how to practically apply the word can dump that wisdom into our lives. And and really, we we should never be reading the Bible in a vacuum. The Bible was designed to be read in community and, and specifically it's such a gift for it to be read in a mentor mentee relationship sean I, as as we talk though i want to zoom out a little bit and i guess just define in the first place what is a model like what does that even mean what's like why do we choose that word model yeah that's a great question when i think of the word model i think of an ideal i think about model cars uh my youngest son is really into building model cars, him and like no one else. I don't know how they're still selling these things. He's an old soul. Man. He's an old soul for sure. He, he missed his time, the 1940s. Right. But like he'll, he'll go down to like Hobby Lobby or something and spend 30 bucks and then spend 30 hours building some model T little model. You, you look at that little model car and you're like, wow, that is modeled after like a real model T that is too cool. And so in some ways, yeah, even when you think about what is a model just from the old Webster's dictionary? I'm pulling up a definition here. 
It is a system or thing used as an example to follow or imitate. Yeah, like you said, an, an ideal. Yeah, it's an original. It's an original that you want to copy because it's that good. And so we need to have models in our lives, Christ-like men, because otherwise, sometimes, dude, it's hard just to read God's word and know what that's going to look like. Like when the Bible says, um, pray without ceasing, what does that actually look like? We, we might need a man of prayer in our lives to, to show us what that looks like. Or when the Bible says, uh, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men, right? Well, the disciples got to follow Jesus. They, they had the model. They had him in the flesh. The word became flesh. They had Jesus himself. We don't have that, but we do have that same scripture. We do have that same promise. We need another man. We need a godly man in the flesh to model for us what that looks like. Yeah, and I think this is a, a perfect time to, to point out Jesus didn't only preach. We know that he, he lived his life in front of his disciples. And I think it was cool. It, it reminds me of what you said in the, in the beginning of um, that idea of more is caught than taught. The disciples got to watch Jesus eat and drink and pray and minister and, and live his whole life. And you have to believe that obviously they soaked in so much of his teaching. The Bible says that it was filled with authority and weight and it kept people on the edge of their seats. But you had to believe that so much of the disciples' transformation came from watching Jesus live his life and from catching that. I think this is also a good time to give a disclaimer for for mentors, human men, mentors in our lives, in that they're going to be flawed. Every mentor, every model is a flawed human, even if they're an awesome ideal, an awesome standard to strive for. They're, they're still sinful and they will let you down. That's not a potential. That's a promise. But you can't hold your mentors to a standard that they're never going to be able to reach that being perfection. Every relationship, including the one between mentor and mentee, it's got to be filled, I think, with with a two-way grace. And uh, I think that's also why it's a good idea to seek out several mentors so that there's not just one person pouring into your life. But yeah, that's, I think, an important disclaimer on the front end is just to know that, yes, you want to be looking for a mentor who is a model, who is an ideal, who has an incredible relationship with Jesus, with their family, with their ministry, but understanding all the while that they're not going to be perfect. Yeah, that that's a great point. The ultimate model is Jesus Christ. Every other potential model falls short, far short of the glory of God. And it would be very easy to tell story after story of godly men who were men of flaws, just like you and I are, Logan. So yeah, ultimately, if your expectation is, if I do everything this guy does, I'm going to be like Christ. Well, no, you're not. <laughs> you're going to be like Christ in a lot of ways, but you're not going to be exactly like Christ. There's only one sinless lamb of God. I think especially as young men, we see older believers and we think, man, this guy loves the Lord. And we just start doing what they're telling us to do or how they're living. And sometimes mindlessly. Yeah. We're like, they've got it all figured out. So, and then they sin. And, and we see it. And I, I don't know if that's one month into the relationship or one year because you weren't around them enough, but that can be really disillusioning for some guys. You know, you got this whole de deconstruction movement out there. And I think part of what fuels that is guys end up having a bad experience in a relationship, which is guaranteed. We're all flawed in the body of Christ. We are all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even men who are trying to be godly men. And so it breaks my heart when I see these guys get all up in the deconstruction movement because it's not that hard to deconstruct things. 
you think about how hard it is to build a building, how hard it is to build an airplane, how hard it is to build a dam. It's so much easier to destroy those things. You can destroy in an instant what took a lifetime to build. And I see these guys sort of tearing themselves down. And sometimes the the impetus or the catalyst for that cascade uh, downward is disappointment in a model. You know, they're like, man, I, I feel like, you know, this person was going to love me and this person was going to mentor me and model for me a Christ-like life. And oftentimes, like, guys do try. Like, guys are trying to minister. And, you know, the, the, the mentor is doing his best, but, man, his flaws come out. And so I, I love that phrase you use, two-way grace, man. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah, it's important. And, and even that topic you touched on, we just, ha- we just have to have a sober view of, of other people in our lives, knowing that they're image bearers and children of God, followers of Jesus. But yeah, just really do have sin. And Bashana, I love that we've laid a foundation for why it's important to have models in our life to mentor us. How though? Let's get practical. How do we find models to mentor us? What are some practical steps we can take? Man, that's a good question. How, how, do, you, how do we find models that can mentor us? I think the first thing that comes to my mind is to be on the lookout. Keep your eyes peeled. Keep your eyes peeled for men who are worth modeling your life after. And and the places to me where you're going to find that is going to be in your church. And if you're on a college campus, it's going to be in your campus ministry and in your church, right? You're going to, you know, if you're on a college campus and you're in a campus ministry and there's some godly young men that you can model your life after, Uh, There are some tremendous pros to that. They're available. They're around you. You can spend time with them. But sometimes they're only one or two years older, and sometimes they're only five or six months older in Christ, right? And so while I think it's important to have men like that in your life, I think we also need to have men, uh, older men from the body of Christ, um, fearless men, as one of my friends calls it, you know, old dudes that are sort of weathered, and their skin is thick, you know, they've kind of been out on the seas of, of trial and tribulation and headwinds and they're 40 and 50 and 70 and 80 years old. And they've been walking with God for decades, man, there's just something about that. Again, they're still flawed as well, but, uh, I think it's important to go look in your church for men who inspire you, uh, man, think about how Paul inspired Timothy. I love in first Corinthians, I think it's chapter four, Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I am sending to you Timothy. (laughs) Isn't that cool? He goes, man, I want you guys basically to model your lives after how I live my life. And for that reason, I'm not going to be able to come and see you, but I'll send Timothy because he knows all about my way of life, my teaching, my faith, my purpose. That's what Paul said in 2 Timothy. Timothy has been with me. He's modeling his life after me as I model my life after Christ, Paul inspired Timothy. I'll never forget my first living situation in college. I lived with a man and his wife and his four kids in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We lived in a trailer 30 minutes south of my campus. I would either hitchhike or they'd give me a ride to school. And I remember thinking, this is not what I envisioned college was going to be like, man. Sometimes I'd take the bus, but the bus only went halfway to the trailer park. So then I'd walk several miles or, or I would hitchhike or something like that but I would not trade that experience for the world because while I lived with this man, Chuck Allison, I got to see how a godly man 
lives. He got me memorizing scripture, not by telling me to, but by every night pulling out his little scripture cards, sitting over there in the corner on his lazy boy and reviewing through his scriptures. And I remember thinking, I guess that's what a godly man does. That's what I need to do. While I was living with this family, I watched how he led. I watched how he prayed for his family. And you know what? I watched him say some things he wish he could have back. I watched him as a flawed man as well. I watched him um, hurt his kids' feelings, and then there had to be reconciliation, which is also valuable to see a godly man apologize. That stuck with me. While I was living with that family, he got cancer, and he went to the doctor, and uh, he said, the doctor told him you're going to have to uh, amputate. And literally while I was living with this family, uh, Chuck went in one day with two legs and came out with, with one. And I remember thinking to myself, man, how is he going to respond to this? Because he was a mountain climber. He was a soccer player. He was an athlete. He was an outdoorsman. Literally within 48 hours of losing one of his legs, he's in the grocery store on crutches. And this little kid is staring at him, you know, like kids do, you know, and his mom's like trying to get him not to stare. And so Chuck kind of moves toward him on the crutches and he looks at him and he goes, don't run with scissors, man. (laughs) It was unbelievable. And I remember thinking he's got joy. Yeah. What? That's an unreal attitude. I can't even imagine. Unbelievable. The way he responded to that trial. And again, he never told me to respond to trials with joy. He never told me to be grateful, even when there doesn't seem to be much to be grateful for but he modeled those things. That, that little interaction right there impacted me probably more than 50 sermons. That, ex- that experience for you, that's like Hebrews 13, seven to a T. It's remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith to a T. I actually was thinking of that same scripture, man. There's two parts of that actually. Consider the outcome of their way of life and then imitate their faith in a sense. Right, You don't want to imitate people whose outcome you have considered and were just really disappointed. If you're looking at somebody who proclaims to love the Lord, professes to follow Jesus, but really the outcomes of their habits, their words, their decisions do not shine light or bring God's grace and kindness into this world, uh, you want to reconsider. Yeah, you saw the outcome of Chuck's way, his joy his perseverance, his word-saturated brain, and that was when you decided, I want to imitate your faith. It's awesome. Yeah, the word imitate in Greek, it's so interesting. In that Hebrews 13, 7, actually, I think this word is used. It's the word mimetes, which means to mimic. Mm -hmm. That's where that word comes from. Or to copy. There are things that we need models in our lives so that we can see those actions, we can hear those words that they speak, and we ultimately can mimic them, we can copy them. I remember being in California in college and um, some friends and I were out on the beach and we, we decided to share the gospel with people. And we ended up honestly on kind of a sketchy beach. One of my mentors slash friends was like, dude, we're going to go share the gospel with like the scariest dude we can find on this beach. And I was like, like, heck we are, man. I'm, I'm out on that. And he was like, man, these are, these are people too. And they need to hear the gospel. And so we ended up having like a two hour long conversation with a former crip, a former gang member. And it was incredible. And it, it showed me, man, I, I got to I got to watch that guy's faith. The guy who was like, hey, we're going to go share the gospel with the scariest person we can find on this beach. And I got to mimic that. The, the next week we went out again to the beach 
And I was like, you know what? I'm filled with boldness. I'm mimicking my mentor. I'm going to go find the scariest guy on the beach and I'm going to share the gospel with him. And it's going to be an awesome two hour long conversation. And I walk up to this dude who's absolutely terrifying and I ask him if I can share the gospel with him. And he's like, F off, bro. <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm humbled. But it was still still a cool experience of, man, I like have a new level of boldness because I got to watch guys go before me. You never would have done that otherwise. No, no way. No chance. Man, Sean, what's another step that guys can take that we can take to seek out mentors in our life? Yeah. So the first step, again, is is to watch, you know, be looking for these men. But secondly... When you find these guys, place yourself in their presence. Because here's here's what I've noticed, Logan, over the years. A lot of guys want mentors. They want older men, godly men in their lives. But they're sort of just like praying and trusting like God, God's going to put them in their life and it's all going to just work out and it's going to happen. And that might happen sometimes, but you most often have to seek it out. It does happen, but it's rare, I think. Um, oftentimes, you are going to have to be the one who seeks out a mentor. Yeah. This even makes me think of what you were saying a little bit ago too, of having some younger mentors in your life, guys that you can, you can, you can see yourself in them. They're able to better probably relate to you. They might have a better grasp on the culture you're living in, but also the importance of putting older mentors in your life, guys that have been doing it for the long haul, guys that can provide wisdom that 20 somethings just can't provide and, and just give you a new perspective. And when I was a student at the university of Colorado in Boulder, me and a couple of my close friends started to realize, hey, we have some awesome mentors in our life, but they're most of them are in their late 20s. So they only have a certain amount of wisdom that they're only capable of having as a guy who's in their late 20s. And so we decided actually specifically to plug into a church. There were like some younger, newer churches in Boulder, but we specifically chose the church we chose because it had a plethora of old, wise men in it. It was not the most exciting, flashy church in the world, but we decided to plug in and we found out quickly about the, this men's mentoring program that they provided. And so we stayed after service and intentionally for a couple of weeks in a row sought out, had meetings to try and figure out how do we become a part of this men's mentoring program. And man, I'll tell you what, as I reflect on my time at CU, as I reflect on my time as a part of Calvary Bible Church in Boulder, that was one of, if not the best decisions that I made was joining that men's mentoring program. I got paired with this incredible guy, Peter, who would meet with me every single week. And he's been walking with Jesus for so much longer than I have, 10, 20, 30 years. This guy, Greg, who runs the men's mentoring program, who's been walking with Jesus and was married for upwards of 40, 50 years and, and guys that were providing wisdom in my life that I just could not find in my peers, especially, but even in, in mentors that were in their late 20s. And I got just invaluable wisdom for a guy who was a single 21 year old at the time to get to sit down weekly, to get to sit down regularly with guys who had been walking with Jesus for that long. It, it changed my whole life. Yeah. You took the initiative. You placed yourself in their presence. I think I just heard a guy say that when I was in college, I found a church with a bunch of old people and I said, this is the one for me. And it was the best decision. One of the best decisions I made in all of college and, and those guys those mentors in my life are my friends. Like they're not just my mentors, but they're my friends and I care deeply about them. And they've had a radically huge impact on my spiritual life and just on my life in general. Two thoughts come to my mind. Number one, I think your typical college guy comes to that church, turns around at the door and says, too many old people, I got to find somewhere where everybody's my age, you know, better music, hipper music, whatever. And secondly, I guarantee, you may not know this, Logan, even now, but I guarantee the joy was theirs. These old guys 
pray that God would use them in that way. They pray that God would give them some young guys to pour into. And sometimes they don't know how to do it. They don't know they can be used. They don't know how to find young men who are hungry and who want to be mentored. And so I think that's why we're saying step two, you have to place yourselves in the presence of these men. You have to get on their radar. Uh, I think back all the guys who mentored me over the years, a guy named Rob Hurley in high school, a guy named Rob Mathia in college, a guy named Ted Shimmer in college, uh, Chuck Allison, who I mentioned earlier. I talked about Steve Gurko on an episode before about how he invested in me and, and would speak scripture in his living room and I'd take notes and we'd go on these hikes and he would impact me through the scripture he was sharing. And one thing I didn't realize at the time, because I was just eating it up, man, I was so thankful to have this scripture being taught to me and the Christian life lived in front of me. One thing I didn't consider at that time is how much joy he got out of that, how much joy he got being able to pass all the things that he knew and had experienced on to the next generation. And, you know, as I think about all these different men, they played different roles in my life. They were all mentors of um, sort of different time periods and they brought different convictions and different personalities and different scripture teachings and different experiences to my life. But looking back, man, I needed all of them. I needed every single one. I think sometimes I've tapped the brakes on mentoring younger guys because my life felt really full. And I was like, man, I just can't add another guy, you know? And then a friend of mine introduced me to a concept called mentor for a moment. There are guys who you can mentor for during one lunch and that's all that you ever got with them, but you were able to speak some life into them or teach them something or move, along, move them along the path. There may be people that you get to mentor for a summer. There may be people that you get to mentor for a week at a camp. And there may be people that you mentor for a decade. There are different levels that you can engage on. I love that. And Sean, I love that you had a, a village, like a small village of mentors in your life too. I think it's good if possible to have, like we mentioned earlier, just several guys that you spend time with as a group, that you engage in discipleship with as a group. And even for the reason that we mentioned earlier of people just being flawed, if you only have one singular mentor that you look to for every single part of your spiritual growth, that guy's going to really let you down. And so it, it it's hard because we don't know everybody's situation, but if possible to have multiple mentors in multiple seasons of life is I think the ideal when we talk about having models to mentor you. If you don't do it that way, it's only a matter of time in my opinion before it goes weird. As, as a guy who's mentoring guys, and I want to talk a little bit later in the pod about the difference between mentoring and discipleship because I do think there's a difference. But the guys that I've mentored over the years I want to bring in the uncles in the faith. I want to bring in my brothers in the faith who can help me mentor these young guys because I have brothers in the faith who kind of aren't afraid to call me out, aren't afraid to make fun of me, aren't, aren't afraid to make me uh, the guy they mess with. And the guys I'm mentoring need to see that. They need to see that I'm not trying to be the end-all, be-all authority in their lives and, man, live exactly how I live, make every decision exactly how I did it, date your girlfriend exactly how I did it 25 years ago when the world was 25 years different than it is today, right? Man, I think I can add some value and, and, and speak some counsel into those situations. I also don't think that every guy needs to do it in the way that I did it. Ultimately, you want to have guys who are Bereans. Uh, Acts 17.11, Paul commends the Bereans. He said, they examined the scriptures every day to see if what I said was true, right? The Bereans were ballers because they would listen to Paul teach and then they go, 
yeah, sounds pretty good, but let's go see if it lines up with God's written word. Yeah, they took it really seriously. Paul was a mentor in their life, but they said, God's a bigger mentor in our life. Let's go see if what Paul's saying lines up with scripture. It, it makes me think of First Peter 5, 5. It says, in the same way you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So there is a dynamic of where guys like me, younger guys in the faith, should be submitting ourselves to the elders in our lives. But like you said, Sean, it's important to always remember that, hey, our ultimate authority is Jesus himself. Our ultimate authority is God's word, and that's what we should constantly be testing everything against. Okay, so watch godly men live their lives. Place yourself in their presence once you identify some guys. And thirdly, and this is kind of what you did, ask for help. Yeah, which like First Peter 5, 5, like I just mentioned, take some humility to do. Yeah, just go and say, hey man, I need some help. You're further along than I am. I think it's really important to honestly evaluate our lives kind of where we are. Yeah, holistically too. I think spiritually, physically, emotionally, socially, you name it. I think we got to honestly evaluate our lives. And I really believe, especially for younger guys like me who are often really prideful, we have to humbly come to the realization that we don't come anywhere close to having life figured out. And I think in humility, we really, again, especially younger guys like me, need to be willing to submit ourselves to the guidance and mentorship of, of older guys. Yeah, you think about the Great Commission. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them, and then teaching them to obey. How do you make disciples? You teach the younger generation how to obey. How do you do that? You're going to have to teach them, but you're also going to have to model it for them. Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Well, how did they know what he commanded? They were with him. How do we know what Jesus commanded? They wrote it down. But even as people read the scripture and try to obey it, they need models that went ahead of them that are in front of them that they can emulate. And, and basically it gives life to the scriptures and the commands that Jesus gave. Yeah. That's, and it's really an incredible picture of what discipleship is supposed to look like. Sean, I feel like now's a good time for you to mention the difference between discipleship and, and mentorship. You mentioned earlier that you wanted to touch on that. So go ahead. I would love to hear it. The main difference in my opinion between discipleship and mentorship is that Discipleship is usually discipler driven and mentorship is usually mentee driven. So when you're a mentee and you're looking for mentors, you know, the things we're talking about today, you're kind of hustling. You're trying to find some mentors to pour into your life and you're taking the initiative. You're trying to get around them. And a lot of that is usually kind of on you. You know, you're looking to take from them. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, it really is kind of a selfish thing. Like you're just trying to go and say, hey, you have something I need and want. Let, let me have that. But like you mentioned earlier, and I, I really believe that Greg, Peter, guys that have mentored me and that have mentored countless other younger guys, I really do wholeheartedly believe that they get just as much out of it as the mentee does. And I think anybody that's mentored a younger person would say the same. 100%. So I think usually mentorship is driven by the mentee. Not always. But I think discipleship is driven by the discipler. If someone's discipling you, it's, it's more like a coach. It's more like uh, than a consultant. It's more like a trainer, like a physical trainer. My wife has a, a physical trainer. Her name's Elvira, and she's a 60-year-old ripped Russian. Okay, She's been a bodybuilder for like 45 years. She's three times stronger than I am. She's got a CrossFit body. She's an absolute beast. She's not asking my wife what she wants to do each day. She's not asking her what she wants to eat each day. She's intense. She's actually made my wife cry three times. <laughs> but that's actually, she would tell you, this is what I need. 
I need someone training me. I, I don't need someone to go ask advice. I need somebody to tell me what to do, to show me how to do it, and to make sure I do it. So you're saying that's more the vision of discipleship. I think that's more discipleship. You know, the core word of disciple is discipline. And a disciple is a student who's, yeah, directly taught. Yeah, the Greek word for disciple is mathetes. Uh, you, you know, you think of the word mathematics. It's a learner. It's a pupil. Or as you said, a student. Um, I think it's on the teacher to really train and disciple as Jesus did. He had a plan, right? He had a sketched out curriculum. He had a three-year camping trip that they were going to go on and he was going to impart the things that they needed to know. I think mentoring is more of a menu. It's more of an a la carte where the mentee is saying, I need that. I'd like some of that. I'd like some of that. And honestly, I think we need both. Obviously, we need discipleship. It's all throughout scripture and it's emphasized in the Great Commission right before Jesus goes back to heaven. But I think we also need mentoring. We need people that we can go to and take from. Think about the teaching steps. This is kind of the age-old training steps. It's used in all kinds of organizations, but there's these five steps of teaching. I don't know who to give credit for, but I definitely didn't think of these. Step one, I do, you watch, we talk. Step two, I do, you help, we talk. Step three, you do, I help, we talk. Step four, you do, I watch, we talk. And then step five, you do, someone else watches, I'm gone. (laughs) (laughs) I moved on, right? Those can apply to discipleship and mentoring. But I think in a lot of ways, if it's a short-term, shorter-term relationship, that's more how mentoring should go. And I love that, Sean. So we we keep our eyes peeled for model men. We place ourselves in their presence and we ask them for help. We ask them to mentor us. I think that's awesome. And by the way, I want to add on that different men are qualified models in different areas. So you might be about to get married and the guy who discipled you, say, when you were in your early 20s, Uh, did a fantastic job teaching you how to walk with God, how to pray, how to memorize scripture, how to have a personal ministry. But he he was married for a year, right? And yet there are guys in your church who have been married 20 years and have great marriages and have raised kids and done life. That's probably a better pick for somebody to help you with your marriage. That's going to be a better mentor for you. Or there might be a guy that you notice in the workplace is shining the light of Christ and really having a ministry in a place that you didn't know you could have a ministry in the workplace. And so even though someone else who discipled you or trained you spiritually, um, say in college, again, is that going to be the right person to mentor you in terms of having a ministry in the workplace? Well, no, not if you've only ever seen them in the college setting. You're going to want to find somebody who can be a model who mentors you in that new setting. The great thing is, man, we can go find endless mentors. There's so many men who are being untapped who just need a younger guy to come and say, hey, man, let's get some time together. Don't You don't even have to ask him to mentor you because I'll tell you, some guys get scared off by that. Some guys literally just, they're like, is this a 10-year commitment? They don't, they don't know what to make of that. But if you just go grab breakfast with a guy once and just ask him some questions, man. Hey, I notice you do this. Why do you do that? I notice you do that. How do you do that? And then keep asking him to breakfast. And then just keep doing it. It doesn't ever have to be defined as some long-term relationship. Again, I think some guys will shy away from that. But it's such an incredible opportunity to tap in to the rest of the body of Christ 
and it benefits you. Yeah, that's really good and really practical. And then again, like you said, goes back to, hey, we as the hopeful mentees have to be the ones taking initiative. I haven't seen any godly men who haven't had some degree of mentorship in their lives. They've had peers who push them. They've had models who've mentored them. Man, thanks so much for joining us this week, guys. Sean actually just started sending out a weekly blog post in the form of an email newsletter. So if you're interested in getting that blog post, we're walking through basic manhood tips, manhood steps, and we're actually breaking down this five-part series in that blog. If you're interested in getting on that newsletter, go ahead and send your email address to endangeredspeciespodcast at gmail.com. We'll get you guys hooked up with that, and we hope to see you next week for part three of the five-tool man, a training plan to transform you.